Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Good afternoon to you. This is The Call, Friday, October the 28th. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests over the course of one hour. All right, let's get to our two experts. Here for the full hour, joining me is Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital, he's up top, and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Claude, Luke, good afternoon to you. I'll be with you in just a moment, just get our viewers across what's happening today, because it's a bit different. Today, we are doing a Startup Daily Special. 10 companies, which were startups, and are now small caps. So we thought who to do the show better with than Luke and Claude. So guys, um, really warm welcome to the program today. So are these companies that you were aware of pre-listing or have they all come to your attention post-listing? I mean, how closely as small and micro-cap investors do you keep an eye on you know, what's potentially coming up the pipes, Luke? Um, a little bit, Nadine. More in the in the past than, than the present. Mostly because that that IPO market's been pretty tough, um, sort of in 2022. Um, before that, though, yeah, look, you, you had a pretty strong pre-IPO market. Um, there's been a couple of funds that have gone into the space. I think Regal and Perennial both offer pre-IPO funds for for wholesale investors. Um, so it, it was a, a you know a very genuine path for these businesses to access some some you know funding before the IPO, which was sort of a bridge. And then obviously, you know, IPO usually within about 12 months. So it was something you could sort of keep an eye on. I think that environment has changed a little bit in 2022. Um, but most of these businesses we've got today obviously listed before then. So, um, you know, we, we get to see that, I guess, that full life cycle mm-hmm. that you were just alluding to. Claude, I mean, I'm being a bit nosy, but do you invest in only ASX listed companies or do you also potentially invest, you know, pre-listing startup phase essentially private equity um i have some unlisted investments but i wouldn't really argue any of them are pre-listing or pre-ipo style uh investments uh the private companies own shares in tend to be former employees or companies of friends of mine or people i've worked with yeah yeah but sometimes i invest in their companies interesting that's just me being curious and to get a sense of your sort of investment style. So uh, what companies will we be speaking of today? Let's get you across the first five. Camplify, Alcidian, Aerometrics, Prosper, and High Pages. So all companies that are pretty newly listed. They were startups. You know, they've really seen the rubber hit the road since becoming public. But we do have a stock of the day, and that is Mach 7. So the business released its first quarter FY23 update today. It saw sales orders of $3.4 million down from $17.4 million in the first quarter of FY22. Now, looking ahead, the company and its ticker code is M7T. It specializes in medical imaging software. Uh, It says that it's confident it can achieve FY22 three sales of between $36 million. So that would be a 20% increase on FY22 and targeting $30 million. Um, but you know, is this reasonable considering, uh, you know, all of the, the headwinds to, to companies, particularly in the tech space and particularly those that aren't hitting the mark? Um, Claude, I'd like to get your thoughts to start on Mark 7, because it sounds to me as if it looks like they're talking about weighting their results to the to the next half. I mean, is that is that sort of a red flag? I, I would say it's a, maybe an orange flag, a little bit of a red flag. It, it's quite common and often it doesn't come to pass. Uh, I should disclose here, I have a very small shareholding in uh, this company. I recently dipped my toe in after watching for many years uh, as it has had some you know share price pressure. And Look, the reality of the situation is that in the fourth quarter last year, they had very strong, their best ever positive operating cash flow. And it 
And as often happens, you know, that is partly to do with the fact that they have, you know, managed to get payment for a bunch of stuff, uh, perhaps that they could have otherwise got in the first quarter. So uh, as a result, you see not just in this year, but in years gone by, Max Evan has had a weaker first quarter. Having said that, even compared to the past, you know, I do think that you have to admit that this was a weaker quarter than one that you, I would have hoped for. Having said that, the, one of the problems with Max Evans' business model is it is more based around lumpy sales and uh, they do have this recurring revenue figure they talk about, but um, that's not like a pure subscription-based recurring revenue. That's a combination of different kinds of revenue, including like maintenance revenue that they consider recurring in nature. And so uh, it, I don't really have any problem with them reporting that, but this isn't. This is a company that we ultimately have to judge on its profits, and the reason it's kind of interesting is because you could imagine on its current trajectory it actually becoming profitable in the next couple of years, and so that's why I'm keeping an eye on it. But having said that, you know, even before today, this was less than a one percent position for me. So very much, uh, I haven't really changed my view based on what I consider to be one week quarter. So still watching this one, still interested, still own some shares, um, still like it, but. Just caution, still super high risk. That's what I do. Like I can be quite defensive in the way I have my overall portfolio, like a lot of cash. But also when I do invest, I'm sometimes taking high risk stuff like this. Okay, so that's a hold because you're holding it. Um, how, well, how, it'd how be much? a hold to a buy. Like if I hadn't already bought some, I'd probably have a little bit today. But Okay. Um, um, how much cash are you holding now, Claude? A lot? Well, it's hard to say just because it's... Yeah, like so I have more liquid cash... I have for a long time had more liquid cash versus my portfolio for quite like pretty much all of this year. Um, and yeah, just basically I'm starting to think about maybe starting to deploy some, but I have, yeah, I'm still quite on the side, but I don't want to miss the opportunity to actually put some cash to work because during the COVID crisis, it bounced so quickly that like it was April, you know, I basically missed deploying in the good in the good period and sort of had to follow as the bounce was happening. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you for indulging me as well. I know sometimes I put you on the spot. So Luke, <laughs> your turn. What about Mark 7? Buy, hold, sell. Do you like the business? Do you own it? Um, I, I don't own it. Like Claude, I've, I've watched it for a while and, and I tend to agree with his sort of um, conclusion at the end there where I, I probably wouldn't put too much weight on, on one week quarter. And, and look, it was the, the cash outflow of about five mil. That, that's a poor result. Um, but cash flow is lumpy in this business. Um, you know, as Claude said, it's not a smooth revenue business where they have, you know, monthly subscriptions to a software product. It's very much that sort of lumpy contract and licenses. And so the cash result I can sort of forgive. The weakness at the sales level where they only signed, um, I think $3.4 million worth of new, new sales for the quarter. It was actually their weakest quarter in about two years. So that's probably where I had more concern. Um, they've stuck to their guns, as you said in the intro, Nadine, with a 36 mil sort of full year target. So they, they're, they're confident that one week quarter, and maybe they've got good visibility of their pipeline and sort of what they can see moving forward. Um, but look, for me, I, I've had on my watch list for a while. There's a genuine business here. You know, their product has won some awards. They've got, you know, a decent slug of revenue. Um, as Claude sort of said before, they're, they're right around that break even at a, at a profit and cash flow level. So that inflection point always has me interested with, with any business, let alone something in such, such an attractive space like healthcare tech. Um, this, just with this quarter, I would, I'm would i just keeping it on my watch list for now. Um, if that share price certainly came off a bit further, maybe into the low 40s, I, you know, I'd, I'd definitely take a real closer look just on that, on that value. Um, but on the outlook of the business, I don't, I don't hold one bad quarter against them, but I just sit on the sidelines and wait to see that sort of recovery come through that management are, are confident will happen. Okay, so that is a not yet for Mark 7 from Luke. Okay, guys, let's get yeah, to I, these. Go can ahead. I just yep. add one, one thing? I just think Luke made a really good point. And the, the problem now is this also does create that situation where if they then do uh, miss in the next quarter, for example, that isn't now just one bad quarter that is actually starting to go against uh, management credibility so that's the real risk there i think it's become higher risk as a result of this week quarter got it thanks guys all right let's get to camplify camplify a startup chl uh, look lots of tailwinds 
behind the company in terms of COVID and people being, you know, landlocked here in Australia, uh, lots of demand coming through. What, what do you actually think of the model though, Luke, and how it's executing? Oh, I love the model, Nadine, those sort of marketplace models. They, they need to get to scale and become that marketplace where you're attracting both sides, the you know people supplying the RVs and the, the people who want to rent them. Um, but, you know, as, as, a, as a market on the ASX, we know how good these marketplace models can be. We just look at real estate, car sales, um, you know, seek is just the, the bastions of how good marketplace models can be when they do hit that critical mass. Now, Amplify is not there yet. Um, in Australia, they look pretty close. They've got a, a pretty dominant position in Australia. We are a small market, though, particularly for those sorts of transactions. When you talk about Seek and car sales and REA, they're either much more transactions or much larger transactions. So Camplify, you know, they're naturally turning to, to the rest of the world. Um, you know, got a bit of a footprint in New Zealand, but a recent acquisition, um, when I say recent, I think only last week of a, of a German business. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is a very interesting one. Um, it's roughly the same size as Camplify from, from operating metrics. So, you know, the amount of caravans on the platform, the amount of bookings they had last year, almost identical. Um, Camplify has slightly better return customers and take rate, which is how much they collect of that overall transaction. Um, so maybe suggest that Camplify are doing something where they can sort of bring more value to that business. We'll wait and see. Um, on a pure, you know, I, there's no valuation to this business because there's no profit or cash flow yet. But, um, you know, if you look at the equity value that they've paid for this business, it's cheaper than Camplify. So there's, you know, I guess there's accretion there at some level, but Camplify has to extract that obviously with, with synergies and through scale over time. Um, but that was a, a very interesting acquisition, mostly based in Germany, but gives them a, a bit of a beachhead into those other European countries. Um, management have got a bit of a target for FY23 profitability. As best I could see, that sort of relied on synergies, which I don't like to do, but this, this does feel like a transaction where you would see some, some synergies that can sort of be brought out. Um, their first quarter looked pretty good, very strong growth. The only thing I did note was that take rate was a little bit down. So I said before, Camplify has a really high take rate, about 30%, which for these marketplace businesses is actually incredibly high. Most of them sort of maxed out about 20%. That was down a little bit, but I suspect it was because they had some government contracts to provide emergency accommodation um, with the northern New South Wales floods and maybe the Victorian floods as well. So, you know, obviously at a lower margin there. Um, they didn't break that out of the revenue, though, so maybe that's worth keeping an eye on. Um, their future bookings look strong. Look, I guess the conclusion I'm coming to, Nadine, is they're building this business in the right way. Um, and... and when you look at it today, 143 mil market cap fully diluted with that acquisition. Um, that looks pretty steep for what you're buying today. But again, you know, you think about where REA, Seek, car sales came from, how quickly these marketplace businesses can scale when they hit that point. So that's what you're buying when you buy Camplify today. Now, look, I don't own it. I, I, you know, it's, it's a local Newcastle based business, actually. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, maybe I should, but I, I don't own it yet. For me, it's you know, I just need to see a little bit more of that execution, that scale, but I can't fault management. I think they've done everything right so far to working towards it. So it's well and truly on my watch list. Um, you know, I'm keeping an eye on it very closely and, and one that it's certainly the style of business I would like to own at, at either the right time or the right price. Okay. Not now though. Not today? Not now. No, no just, yep. just on the watch list for today. Got it. Now, Claude, a Camplify, I think we've spoken about this in the past. So I was looking at that uh, acquisition. It raised $8.5 million, but the acquisition was $47.6 Is that a purchase that would justify you know, taking on that level of debt? Uh, well, so I, it's not actually with debt. It's from they're issuing the shares in Campify at a, a nominal share price of $1.96 per share. Okay. So I think, so um, that's about 23.34 million shares. And on top of that, the overall uh, shares go to almost 75 million, which puts it on uh, a share price of over 150 million today as we're speaking. So it's a fairly big uh, in increase in the size of the market cap. So they've basically given away a, a large chunk of the company to do that uh today and so it is transformational in that sense look i think luke uh covered it really well in terms of all of the strategic importance of, of this sort of uh dash for scale so i don't know if there's anything i could really add 
you know, on top of what he said to explain this, other than, you know, to differentiate myself in the sense that I've, I'm a, probably a little bit uh, more interested in buying a speculative position in this now. Um, after today, like I haven't bought any yet, but I wouldn't guarantee that I won't buy any either because I just think it's one of the more interesting small stories in small cap land. I've actually have owned shares in this behalf in the past, beg your pardon. And uh, I did sell them as I've discussed on, on the Osbiz, but for the right price, maybe a little bit lower than where we are right now, I could definitely see myself be interested in taking a nibble just because it's rare to have uh, that kind of potential network effect story. Uh, having said that, of course, it, as with all the stocks we discussed today, this one's a high risk one because you just don't know whether that network effect really will end up happening and, and giving long-term pricing power. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Uh, thank you for that. Um, am I calling it a specy buy today? Uh, nah, I'd have to say that I would want to get in more at the capital raising price, which was $1.70. So retail shareholders getting the opportunity to buy shares at $1.70. Hypothetically, I'm hoping some of those guys will be like, all right, I'll buy shares at $1.70. Then they'll turn around just to sell the shares on the market create a bit of downward pressure hopefully towards a dollar 70 that's what i'd be that's what i'm kind of half an interest in, in looking for alcidian is the next on the list guys this is for damien hi damien i hope you're watching or listening out there so alcidian is in the software for medical um you know it's not really medtech it's software that services the medical industry hospitals and the like it's got a big defense contract in the uk uh, run by katie quirk who's been the ceo for a while and has really done some good things with this company and it looks as if it is just about profitable what do you think of alcidian claude uh, so this one is is my favorite one of the show that i i own shares in this myself and i don't so I don't want to come across too bullish on it. I, I'm not, as with all the companies today, these are the high risk early ones. Again, not a huge position in my portfolio, bigger than Max 7 though. And look, the reason that I, it is a bit of a bigger one is because we, I've seen that Alcidian come quite a long way. And whilst they did uh, make a large acquisition, you know, quite when the market was quite hot for their shares, they issued a lot of shares then to pay for it. And I'm not sure it's really damaged the company long term. Um, overall, it does proceed towards scale. Uh, its most recent quarterly report, Q4, because it hasn't reported for this quarter yet, it's reporting on Monday. So it's an interesting time to be talking about it. It's reporting its quarterly on Monday. Um, but its last quarterly so, so showed um, you know, good progress in the move towards sustainable free cash, free cash flow. However, as with Max7, it generally has its weakest cash flow quarter um, in Q1. And as with Max7, you know, it does have a little bit of lumpiness to its cash flow, and which is very hard to avoid in this industry because these guys specialize in selling their, uh, you know, workflow hospital and uh, hospital admin workflow and clinical workflow to uh, government customers. So more in Australia and the UK, as you said, Department of Defense. Um, so this is different from other software companies that work in the private market. And it's quite a lot of those customers have some like one-off they really want to give you a one-up chunk for the project and they want to know how much it is and it can't be any more than that. So they don't like the pay-as-you-go or transactional kind of models. So therefore, it does tend to have lumpy cash flow, uh, but it seems in a reasonably strong situation. Perhaps it will have a weaker quarter this quarter. I would not be surprised. And I would, you know, unless there was something terrible happening that suggested the long-term thesis was off track, I would potentially view that as an opportunity. Got it. Thank you. And, and so I like I like it one. This is my favorite of the show. So if anything gets a buy, it would be this. Got it. Thank you. What about you, Luke? Do you own Alcidian? Do you like Alcidian? Um, confidence in execution, or would you wait to get that quarterly under your belt? You know, if we're talking about a buy hold sell today. Um, I, I don't own it. I actually saw Kate Quirk present only last week, and um, <clears throat> you know I've seen her a few times. Very impressive, and I think um, I, I like Claude's explanation of. of Sort of the business but also the customers in the industry they're selling to because i think it sometimes gets overlooked by us as investors we like software as a service recurring revenue and that sort of steady you know usually monthly subscription monthly payment sort of model and, and, and you know there's a lot of benefit to a business but for these guys in that medtech space most of their customers you're selling into their capex budget and you know they're often you know big lumps of cash they need just to, to buy something up front and have a free five-year license so if, you know, you're forced to sell how your customers want to buy. So I don't hold it against Mac, Evan, Alcidian or anyone else. 
um, you know, for, for being a bit lumpier than, than sort of your normal software businesses. And it creates opportunities for us as investors who understand that lumpiness in the business and can sort of see through the short term noise. Um, look, I really like the business. I, I agree with Claude. I think they probably overpaid a little bit for Silverlink um, earlier in the year, I think maybe late last year. Um, but strategically, it did make a lot of sense. It really opened up that UK market for them. They do that core sort of patient administration um, systems and um, medical record um, hospital administration software, um, really sticky, really key to these businesses. And you sort of need those relationships. It's difficult to go in fresh to a to, to a new customer mm -hmm. and just win them over. So it makes sense. You sort of have to buy someone who already has that footprint in those relationships and obviously look to upsell them, you know, more of a suite of your product over time. So look, a little bit like Max 7 before that, you know, Similar sorts of businesses, not the software themselves in that same sort of med tech space. Um, for me, I think it's just execution time for our city and they're right around that cash flow break even profitability. Um, the business is still growing strong. You've made that big acquisition, which I think now you know, it's really, you know, head down and execute in the UK and really drive that upsell into those UK NHS trusts. Um, so look, uh, I, I I like everything, agree with everything Claude said. As someone who doesn't own it, I'd like to see just another quarter or two just to really see that, that execution, that scale come through. But look, if you owned it today, I don't think the business has really put a foot wrong for, for you know, a few quarters. It's done okay. So you continue to hold and mm -hmm. for anyone else, you know, if you will, as Claude said, we're, we're more of a high risk go today, obviously. But if you're that sort of investor, this is one to have on your watch list because, um, you know, it, it, it's uh, the sort of business that can do very well into the future. Got it. Thank you. Let's go to number three on the list. This is Aerometrics, and this is essentially 3D sort of imaging. It is like it's kind of like, um, oh, my gosh, I just forgot its name. The uh, net. Near yeah, near map, near map. It's like a near map, isn't it, Claude? And, and Luke, Luke, would you be buying Aerometrics today? Um, I own some Aerometrics, Nadine. Um, I've owned it for a while um, at higher prices. I added to it at some lower prices back in the sort of low to mid 20s. Um, at 40 odd cents today, I'm probably just holding. Um, I thought the FY22 results were, were pretty good, but at that price, you know, a, a bit like what we're just talking about, they're at the phase now where it's execution. So um, your your um, introduction was correct. They're, they're very much a, a baby near map, um, particularly for that product they have which is the 2d aerial mapping looking to sell that as a subscription service they do a bit of um radar analysis as well which is a bit of a, a value add for them um but the real opportunity for these guys is in the 3d data set that they collect and they've got a, a pretty a pretty good product that that you know i think is world leading um mostly because not many other people do it and, and they've sort of been there for a while and refining their product for some time um, but it's very much a, a build it and they will come sort of approach to that model. So they've gone and captured some US cities. They captured six last year in FY22. Um, you know, so you go and capture a US city in 3D and then you look to sell those models off the shelf to people. So they're able to purchase mm -hmm. a data set of a 3D city. Um, they've sold some to Metaverse client. They've sold some to engineering client. Um, but it's an, it's an industry where it's very much emerging. And the main reason why is because um the in the past the data just wasn't good enough to really be actionable particularly for those engineering type clients who need really refined data to do the work they need to do um but that's catching up and so the data that Aerometrics aerometrics captures is, is very fine down to a five or even two centimeter um imagery mm -hmm. and then importantly the the viewers they use like the unreal engine and the unity engine they're catching up as well so how that data is then displayed and used and tinkered with is, is improving so Look, you're ahead of the curve with this stock right now. They're investing ahead of it. And as an investor yep. in the business, you know, you're, you're relying on that business to come through. It only did about $700,000 revenue last year. But that's the, that's the future of the business. That core business is profitable. That's where I sort of get my sleep at night and, and own it for that upside. So like I said, for me, I'm probably holding it. If it did drop down back below, maybe into the low 30s, high 20s, I would, I would look at it again. Mm -hmm. um, but in that sort of, I think it's 43 cents today, I'm, I'm just holding for me with the capital. But again, for people out there that make more high risk investment, put this on your watch list because I think they've got a, a, really cool, a really cool space in that, that 3D, um, 3D imagery that could be emerging into something bigger. Got it. Thank you. Aerometrics used to be a startup. Now it's a small cap listed company. Claude, buy, hold, sell today. Uh, for me, I guess it, it's probably a, a hold. 
Uh, I think that Luke's thinking about it the correct way. I should probably add that I have a small investment in Luke's fund, so I find out when I talk to him, like, here, what, what he's thinking. But, um, yeah, look, I think that it's one you want to be pretty keen on valuation regarding this stock just due to the fact that it's so close to making a profit, but it, it's not making a profit. And it would just be, I, I'm going to say this a lot about these kind of companies, but as with Alcidian, all of them, you know, you just got to have to be, it could make itself a less risky business just by being profitable. So uh, that's the kind of thing that I'd like to see. And essentially, in, until they're profitable, I wouldn't be too confident about any valuation I could give them. So just keep it keep it small and keep it reasonable. And otherwise, I generally think that there's a decent story there. It's It makes perfect sense, but it's just still in the high-risk stage. And the other thing that I would say is longer term, you want to remember that these businesses like Nearmap, which is a more, it's probably a better, much better quality version of this business, but also more expensive. Uh, also you've getting beamed that up. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you've, you've got to remember that these businesses, uh, they do still have high capital intensity as they scale. Like, you know, Nearmap couldn't get away from it either. And that is not, that's not the most advantageous kind of business model. You want to have are usually a bit of a lower capital intensity, which sometimes you get with some software companies when they're really just building software. But once you have to go out and fly planes and all those kind of things, it does add to the expense line, make it a little bit harder to grow that business or more. And sometimes then they would need to raise capital, such as Nearmap did quite a few times over the years. Mm -hmm. Okay, there you go. Two holes for Airmetrics. That was for you, Vaughn. Thanks for writing in. You can write in and give us a stock pick as well. You just have to email the call at osbiz.com.au. Philip has done that and he's asking about Prospa. So Prospa, I remember when Prospa was trying to list, I do believe that it was delayed once or maybe even twice. It was out with a quarterly update just yesterday, maybe the day before. Uh, it lends to the SME space in particular. Ugh, that makes me think of the broader macro environment, which I know that you guys don't necessarily uh, entirely focus on, but I know you've been paying a lot of attention to quarterlies coming out, Luke. Did you give Prosper's a read? I did. Um, and, and look, I, I, the note I jotted down today was I was expecting worse when I looked at this business. Um, you look at the share price chart, and I remember shortly after the IPO, I think they downgraded. Um, and so uh, when, when I went and looked at their FY22 result, the update they gave um, just yesterday, I thought I was going to look at a much uglier business than what I saw. So first thing I noticed is they reported accounting profit, which, you know, good on them. Like, as Claude said today, most of the businesses we'll talk about today are still loss making as they look to scale up. Um, and you can look, you can do fine investing in loss making businesses. Um, but, but as Claude just said about Aerometric, making that profit does often de-risk the investment case that um, you're trying to make. So um, I, I thought that was really interesting. I thought their credit metrics looked okay. Um, obviously, you alluded to the, the, the skeleton in the closet being that SME space that they mostly target, well, sorry, entirely target, it's all SME funding. Um, if you look ahead, you can sort of see the potential for pain in the future in that space. So, you know, you would probably like to see management a little bit ahead of the curve and maybe taking some provisions, which I don't, I, di I didn't see them doing that. Um, but to be fair, you know, even the banks, ANZ was out yesterday, they haven't taken, you know, many provisions against their book either. So, you know, maybe these guys are sort of looking at things right now and thinking the economy sort of muddles through everything we're about to see. But I, I take your point, it's a, it's a bit of a dangerous space. Um, the other thing I did notice is they're still growing quite strongly. Now, there's positives and negatives to, to, to growing quickly as a, as a finance business like this. And the, the, the biggest, well, I'll start with the positive. The positive is obviously you grow your loan book, you grow your market share, and if you've grown correctly and safely, then over time you're a bigger, better business. But the, the negative is that it's often, you know, only down the track that you really find out how you've grown and, and the book you've acquired and the customers you've acquired. and the credit quality um, of, of, the, of the book that you've acquired. And so we're at a time where you've seen a few of those gears actually wind back. And we'll talk about Money Me later on in the show. As an example, that, that's one of their peers who has wound back their originations in mm -hmm. that first quarter. They're, they're pulling back, they're being a bit more conservative. Prosper's gone the other way. So as a shareholder today, like I said, you've got a, what I saw was a decent business, a profitable business. But they're making a bit of a macro call, Nadine, to accelerate into this environment. Now, uh, for me, I, I would sit on the sideline 
if you're there, just be aware of that risk. If you're comfortable with that risk, you're willing to back the management team and their call of what they're seeing in the, in the current market, um, then I think you can definitely hold this business. Um, it looks expensive because they only made about a million bucks profit, but that growth, you know, that could quickly turn into three, four, five million dollars. And the business looks pretty reasonable mm. at that valuation. Um, it's just that macro risk. So for me, I'm on the sidelines. I would probably hold it if you're there, but understand the risk, particularly growing into this environment. Thank you, Luke. Uh, thank you, Luke. Claude, what do you think about Prosper? Oh, well, I'm glad you went to Luke on that because that, that was a great view of it. Um, my take on the key issues that he outlined is basically that I would not want to own a business taking the decisions that uh, Prosper is. Look, it might pay off. It's a, it's a big gamble if you uh, just grow more aggressively at, and then say, for example, the economy keeps pumping inflation means nobody has trouble paying back their loans as, as long as there's demand there they can keep earning money and even put their prices up so you know and it's possible things will be fine however in this kind of lending business uh, i much prefer i'm much more of the head state where you're like show me the money immediately as a shareholder like i want to be getting a big dividend yield whatever profits we're getting uh straight into my pocket um from lenders and so um, I actually used to own not that long ago a, a company that's sort of similar to to this one called Early Pay, and that pays a really big uh, dividend. I'd be more comfortable with Early Pay. The reason I sold Early Pay was though the um, there's some management changes basically, and I just don't. I'm very jumpy with lenders. I'm like any sign that's bad, and I'm out. So I'd avoid yeah. Prosper for that reason. But that's just also somewhat of a sector view. I like dividend paying ones and, and I want to get out at the first sign of anything negative. Fair enough, we're asking for your opinion. So that's it, thank you so much. So we're on to number five guys, high pages for Matt. Um, yeah, sort of like yellow pages online, um, but also for you know getting things done, correct me if I'm wrong. Luke, uh, have you looked at this business? Um, a couple of times, Nadine. I mean, if you watch the block, you're familiar with high pages. It's focused on that tradie space, connecting tradies with you know people who need odds and ends done around the house, renovations and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so, so look. sorry, Luke, to interrupt, but I think it's worthwhile because we've got Airtasker on the list. After again, it was a startup, um, had some you know money put into it, obviously, to get it to the point in which it could list to seven sold out. So can we talk about high pages and their tasker, if you don't mind, sort of together? Because, you know, perhaps it's a compare and contrast story. I don't know, Luke. Yeah, no, look, it's a fair point, Nadine. I mean, you've got two like marketplace businesses and, and, you know, go back to what I said about Camplify. They're brilliant businesses if you get them to work. Now, the problem that I think Airtasker and high pages have is, um, and you've also got freelance who list on the ASX, is there platforms that can be bypassed? So, you know, if you connect with someone on our pages for a renovation or an Airtasker for a you know odd job around the house, if you want to go back to that person again because you like their service, you don't necessarily have to go back through the the, the platform and pay that take rate and, and pay the fee. That's the issue I've always had with these sort of you know connecting people marketplaces. Whereas if you think about Camplify, REAC, car sales. You sort of have to go back to that platform to to get the the, the product more than just connection of of two people. Um, look for, for high pages just specifically, it's roughly break even. Um, there's some capital, uh, actually a lot of capitalized development in there. So they use EBITDA and actually report a very strong EBITDA profit, but that's fake for, for lack of a better word. Um, the biggest problem I saw is that the, the growth is pretty muted in the business. You know, only mid single digit growth and for this sort of business, you probably want more. You either want you either want it to be highly profitable if you're going to be low growth, or if you're going to be around that break even, you know, show me growth. And if you're going to be investing, let's let's see it come through at the top line. Um, the other thing I saw is they need to stay front of mind. So that sponsorship on the block, you know, the brand advertising they do, that needs to continually happen because of the model they use, where they monetize through their trading network, who pay a monthly fee. And tradies, they churn quite a bit because these guys may use it for a month or two to, to get a few jobs, build up their backlog, not need high pages, so they turn it off. So you've always got to be there for when they come back instead of just being one of those beautiful systems where you lock someone in and they, you know, they're just paying a monthly fee and, and it's just a real sticky software. So look, for high pages, my takeaway was you either need higher growth or more profitability. So I'd be sitting on the sidelines until I saw one of those two things. Um, do you want me to do air tasking? Yeah, or? yeah, please. Okay. 
Airtasker, look, you're getting more growth in that business, but but also higher spend. Um, so they were out this morning, had a quick look at that. Yeah. You know, burned about five and a half mil cash, 25 mil in the bank. So there's a runway there, but look, you know, it, it doesn't take long to, to eat into that. And the market, once you sort of get to that sort of less than two quarters of the cash remaining, the market can see that capital raise coming. That share price, well, the share price already is ugly as you've got it up there, but it can, it can get uglier. Um, Look, management claim the Australian marketplace is profitable to the tune of about six million um, EBITDA in this quarter. So yeah, that's that's pretty profitable, but that gets, you know, spent and then some looking to expand to the UK and the US. Um, the UK looks like it's further along. For Airtasker, I don't own it. I actually don't even have it on my watch list, to be honest. I, I, I might add it, but what I would really like to see is is probably management Sort of face the realism of the market today and maybe just leave the US for a later date. Um, I think it's a tough environment now to, to justify going and spending millions of dollars on that sort of expansion. You would probably like to see them consolidate to Australia, harvest those profits. The UK is a bit further along, so you could maybe stomach some, some small investment over there. But the US, I think, you know, it's a, it's a lot of money to spend. It's an environment where the market is, is punishing those sorts of stocks. So, look, I would probably hold high pages and, and Honest, if I held air task, I'd, I'd probably sell um, the day. You be Luke, so kind as to sort of talk about these companies in context of the, the broader market, but one another as well, um, because they are that marketplace model, because they touch upon some of the same um, customers and users, I suppose, more than anything else. Would any of these pass, you know, your filters for investment? Well, I think it's an, in so the answer is in terms of these uh, network effect or these marketplace businesses, some of them do, but uh, to stay with that broader topic, I think it's useful to think about these marketplace uh, businesses in terms of uh, what their value add to society or to the stakeholders is, because that is often going to give you a hint about whether it, or not it's actually possible for them to extract a net profit margin sustainably over a long course of time. So. In the case of Campify that we talked about earlier, the person renting out their camper van uh, might, you know, if it's a really nice one, they might be able to get $300 a night and they might, someone might borrow it for 10 nights, $3,000 or maybe a thousand dish goes to uh, Campify and the other guy has $2,000 from this asset that was other otherwise uh, sitting just in his driveway. So that's quite a lot of value and it probably makes sense for them to have you know, off goes $1,000 to uh, Camplify. However, uh, at the other end of the extreme, we have Airtasker, you know, somebody uh, raking the leaves in your garden or just doing general garden maintenance uh, once a week or whatever it is. That might be something that is well suited to a $100 a week kind of situation. Uh, you don't want to be paying $30 of that or any amount of it to Airtasker as an ongoing fee on that kind of, uh, that kind of task, basically. So I think that there's a lot of a lot of work that gets done or connections get made in Airtasker where it doesn't really make sense for there to be a middleman clipping the ticket. And if it came down to it, if it weren't for the fact that people can just use Airtasker and then stop using it when they feel like it, um, you know, I don't think that these things are, are that sustainable. And so I don't like Airtasker at all. Its financials are worse than high pages. I think its business model is worse than high pages. High pages sits in the middle because there is skilled transactions going on. You can't just get anyone to come and fix your gutter or let alone your toilet or do redo your kitchen and all that sort of stuff. You need a skilled tradesperson and you might even need a couple of them. So it makes a lot more sense that this is a high enough value transaction. It might be a job that's worth two, three thousand dollars. Well, in that case, you know, there's probably a sustainable business model in high pages. Uh, and that's what I like about it much. I just think that it could hypothetically be a sustainable business model, but it's not going to be good as realestate.com.au where you're clipping the ticket on the million dollar purchase. It's the biggest transaction half the people are ever going to make in their life. It's never going to be that good. Um, but as it moves towards profitability, which is a little way away from, mm -hmm. I think this could really get an interesting story once it gets profitable. Uh, but until then, I would hold off. And Airtasker, I really don't even know how it's going to be a sustainable business ever. Okay, got it, guys. Thank you. Got my own anecdotes about um, 
Airtasker, but we'll talk about it off air. All right, we are at the halfway mark. In fact, we're beyond the halfway mark because we did Airtasker and High Pages together. So, when we get to the stock of the day, Mac 7, it is a hold for both of my guests. Luke would just sit on the sidelines. Um, weak sales are a bit of a red flag to him. Look, Claude's bordering on a buy. He does hold it, but he says he's cautious. It's super high risk. It's got lumpy earnings. Camplify, it's a buy. Um, for Claude, it's a specy buy there. It's on Luke's watch list and it's a proud Nui company. So I think that's sort of <laughs> factoring in there as well. Alcidian, it is a buy. It's Claude's favorite that we're speaking of today. But uh, Luke, he's not a holder. He would wait until we get this quarterly result uh, under our belt. So if you're in it though, you would hold it. Aerometrics, it's a hold from both of my guests. Prospa, Claude says, show me the dividend show me the money he's very jumpy with lenders though he admits uh claude he's on the sidelines for this one if you hold it you can keep holding he was actually surprised he thought that the result and the financials could have been worse speaking of financials you just heard luke uh summarizing um sorry claude summarizing what he thinks about high pages versus air tasker some big questions in his mind as to the viability of air tasker and luke would sell it if you're in it but he would hold high pages. So that's a wrap of the first half of the program, a little bit more. Don't forget about the investment committee. You can check it out at ausbiz.com.au. A new one is coming your way next week. So we will see if we've got uh, still Bapcor in there, Sol Pattinson, still have InsightTech Pivot in there. We had Seek added. And so, yeah, a bit of a check-in on how the portfolio perf is performing. Uh, yeah, so that's a look at it on your screen. So it's uh, on a cumulative return basis up by 4%. Keep sending your requests and keep the call switched on. Keep sending your requests in and that will give you a good idea as to what the investment committee will be considering next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. We are back with the next four on the list, and that is Money Me, it is Atomo Diagnostics, and it is IntelliHR and 4D Medical. So these are companies that were startups now listed, small caps, and we wonder if they are investable today. And joining me is Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. Luke, Money Me, I was just checking, I think it's quarterly was out last week, and it is one of those companies that again is a lender. It is launching a share purchase plan. Uh, what do you think of Money Me, MME? Yeah, I was on not long ago in Nadine and, and said I thought this was a sell. Um, and, and my opinions haven't changed a great bit. So they were forced into an emergency raise not long ago. The SPP's a, a part of that. Um, the reason why is, um, you know, talking about Prosper before, when I looked at that business, its financials were probably better than I expected. Money Me had negative tangible equity um, at the end of FY22. So it was about 90 million in equity, but, but 100 million of that was goodwill and intangibles. So they breached their covenants and were forced into an emergency raise. Um, so there's some underlying issues with the business. Now, to be fair to management, um, as I alluded to before when I was talking about Prosper, they are winding back that origination growth. So the, the book is in runoff. They, they only originated, I think, $130 million worth of loans in the quarter. Um, and that was less than, than what was run off the, the back end of the book. So that loan book is shrinking. And, and for lenders, you know, they have to spend to grow, obviously. Um, but the reverse happens on the flip side. As that loan book shrinks, they actually generate more cash and um, they can sort of shore up that balance sheet. So I, I think management are doing the right things. Um, you know, if you're someone who has sold and you're on the sidelines and, and you know, you may be willing to take a, a high-risk lender, have, have a look at it. Um, I, I would wait a bit longer and just wait to see how that process plays out, particularly given all that macro stuff we were talking about with Prosper. Um, these guys are probably even a step down. They're high-risk personal lending, let alone um, mm -hmm. SME, where you sometimes have asset backing. Um, so, look, I, I'm still on the sidelines. If you're there, you've written it down a long way. I, I, 
I'll probably still sell Nadine, mm-hmm. um, mostly because you know, for, for some businesses, when a share price falls a long way, there's an operating business there that is sometimes still profitable or, or can be profitable. For these sorts of lenders, the, the they blow up. I mean, they they go to they go to zero. So there's always still that risk, even though the share price has fallen so far. So I don't think they're completely out of the woods yet, despite management doing the right thing. So I would I would probably just keep that sell. Um, and like I said, you need a real stomach to look at it today. Um, but, but keep an eye on that execution from management and that balance sheet. Got it. Thank you, Claude. Would you touch this? Uh, well, obviously, I don't follow such a company as this. I think in the distance past, I might have bet against it, but uh, not any time. I'm talking like years ago. I uh, considered it one of the worst companies for for a while. Just looking at the uh, most recent results, very large uh, impairment expense there. And then what really jumped out at me is that they boasted how they secured um, car finance product AutoPay received the 2022 Cancer Award for innovation, growing from six million to 100, uh, 445 million in gross customer receivables. Um, so f- car finance, um, growing car finance rapidly into, you know, during an environment where car secondhand car costs. Remember the, like they were going up heaps and it was everyone had to people had to wait weeks to get a car if they bought a new car and you know I think that car finance I wouldn't want a heap of that that doesn't seem like great lending to me so uh, just definitely uh, not keen on this one myself and also just as I said before this sector I look for the established profitable dividend paying ones and then even then I'm very careful not to own them if anything looks negative um, so you would sell it if you were in it as well? Yeah, it's not in it's not in my investable universe at all. And already I consider myself a little bit more on the risk-taking mm. side of things. Thank you. Now let's get to the next one on the list, Atoma Diagnostics. And this one is for, who's it for? Tim, Tim, thanks for writing in. So this one we talked about a lot in the depths of the pandemic when we were talking about, you know, testing for COVID and the like. Um, so it has reported its quarterly, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Um, is this a company that you would see as being applicable through all sorts of, you know, potential recession, slowdown and the like, Claude? Uh, I mean, I'm. I agree in the sense that it is definitely uncorrelated compared to other companies. Like obviously there's some other kind of events that can massively impact the demand for the um, rapid testing that they do, which does include some COVID testing, but also other things. Uh, Look, the the problem with this, I'd just say is that it's probably not the best kind of business. Like you see a lot of competition in, uh that rapid testing for covid now admittedly i'm not an expert on all of the rapid testing markets but i believe that in my life i've probably only ever done rapid testing for covid maybe maybe once something else but i've never i don't think it's a really big a huge uh growth area necessarily just because obviously in the covid test market there's tons of competition and look what we did see is revenue um of over 12.3 million in uh, FY 2022. But unfortunately, that only led to a gross profit of 4.2 million. So quite low gross profit margins, consistent with what I was saying, leading to a large overall loss. In fact, their actual loss after tax only improved by 300,000 from 6 million to 5.7 when their revenue more or less doubled. So not seeing the scaling you'd like to see. I confess for my sins, do own a different company that does have some exposure to um, COVID PCR testing and it, obviously it's been going down a lot recently as people have done less testing but at least it was like absolutely cashed in when things were good this company didn't even make a profit when it was like ideal environment for them to make a profit so I'd be very wary of them so that's an avoid would you yeah. sell it if you already held it uh, look I wishing all the best of luck to this company and everything like i'd love to see this kind of thing be a success story but yeah i would i don't really see how it's even a viable business to be quite honest like i would definitely be surprised if they get better conditions for business than they had in the last financial year and they were quite loss making then so yeah i'd probably sell it got it thank you luke uh you know the question yeah look i used to own this business adeen i sold it i sold a while back now um the business itself, their IP is around the delivery system, not the actual test itself. So 
Um, basically, you know, COVID and other tests, you have that point of care rapid and it usually comes in a few pieces. Like, you know, you maybe spit into a test tube and then shake it and then put it into the, you know, um, testing module and, and all this sort of stuff. And so there are IPs around just having an all-in-one device and it reduces user error. Um, now, COVID, as Claude alluded to, COVID shows up and there's a massive need for rapid testing because of that. The business was sort of, you know, well-placed to, to, I guess, take advantage, which they sort of did, sort of didn't. They were a bit just, they're too slow to mobilise, basically. By the time they sort of really got set for COVID, you know, the, the, the need for rapid testing had, had passed. Um, but it was never actually a core focus for the business. So they're focused more on some other places, more around the blood testing side of things. So HIV, pregnancy tests. Mm-hmm. They had a they had an agreement with another ASX listed company called Loomis Diagnostics. Yep. Um, now those guys were looking to develop using Otomo's um, system a test where um, you know someone in a in an emergency room if they display some, a respiratory systems it's hard for doctors to know whether it's viral or bacterial yep. and a test to basically you know discover that it got knocked back by the FDA that was a big revenue driver for Otomo obviously manufacturing all those tests for Lumos um, so look I agree with Claude I sold it a while back mostly because you could sort of see that COVID benefit running mm-hmm. off and you're going to be stuck where they are today. Um, I think they're doing interesting stuff. And I actually, like Claude, sort of hope they can succeed. I think the IP is interesting, looking to partner with some other people for different types of tests, but at a very early stage. Keep an eye on it if you like that sort of um, you know medical space. But um, investing today is very, very risky. Okay, we've got to get on to the next one. Number nine on the list is IntelliHR. I'm sure I've spoken with you guys about this one in the past. So this is for Matt. Um, Luke, I'll start with you. Buy, hold, sell, IntelliHR. We've got to keep it kind of snappy. Yeah, look, I bought a little bit of shares now. I want to stress like a, a very small amount of shares around these prices. So, you know, whether you want to call that a buy, Nadine, I'm probably more leaning towards a hold, but I, I did, you know, I sort of couldn't resist the, the low prices a while back. Um, these guys do HR tech. Um, look, as far as the software goes, there's a lot of things to like. Uh, a lot of a lot of very good metrics around revenue retention, low churn, um, you know, upsell clients, very strong organic growth. Uh, but of course, in 2022, the focus is completely on the cash burn of business, which historically has been very high. Now, management have come out and said they're looking to really address that, and mm-hmm. they've got an ambitious target of hitting cash flow break even in FY23. Market doesn't believe that. I probably don't believe it either. But I think if they can at least get close to it, you know, there's a chance that maybe just a small equity injection is required rather than a, a very large one. So, look, for someone who is exceptionally high risk, um, this is one you can you can definitely have a look at because the product is is really interesting. Customer okay. reviews, all the organic metric. It's just that capital position that has the market worried. So, you know, I was actually hoping they had their call out today, which would shed some light. Keep an eye out on Monday. If that okay. cash burns maybe around 1.5 mil, they're on the right on the right track. Got it. Thank you, Claude. Buy, hold, sell. Oh, I probably have to say, I guess, hold if you... I, I actually hold some shares, but I also wrote an article about them after the uh, H1FY22 results, explaining why I was selling my shares and planned to sell more, which I did. So I only put it down to the tiniest little uh, holding. So I guess that's probably a sell, really, because I only just hold this tiny holding to remind myself um, of this company that just absolutely, in my opinion, failed to have the spending discipline they needed to. And they really got themselves in a pickle, in my opinion. And I just hold it out of um, you know, almost torturing myself now. It's a very small position. And I think that they will raise capital again. And I'm sort of hoping that if I like have my tiny little holding, um, they'll do a really low capital raise and they'll be an SPP and maybe I'll get to buy shares at a good price. But otherwise, I can't really justify it. I, I mostly agree with Luke, but you know, I've been wrong about this. Uh, definitely too bullish in the past. So me a couple for that. Uh, but now can't really sign off at it. I guess it's like, if you've got a tiny position, I think it could recover. Like the reason that we originally, or I originally like this is it genuinely did have like a good organic growth story, which is quite hard to find. It's just, I think that it mm-hmm. could get better in the future, but for now it's super risky because I think it will need to raise more capital. Thank you. Let's get to 4D Medical last on the list. Uh, 4D Medical, Luke, in your view. Um, I'd actually never really looked at this one, Nadine. So I had, had a quick look today. It's it's very early stage doing some lung ventilation analysis software. Now, it's one of those ones where sometimes 
you know, when you when you come to a stock fresh, I'm someone who never noticed it before, um, you sort of get the narrative presented to you and you can go and sort of look at the numbers. And to me, those two things didn't really match up. So it's a business where their main product is software. And, and I went back and looked at some of the early presentations and they say this software is can be overlaid on existing hospital equipments, um, mostly x-ray machines. To me, that should be a really easy upsell for hospitals. You've got existing piece of hardware equipment, we're looking to sell you a software solution that goes over the top of your existing analysis, much improved, you know, all sorts of trials and, and um, you know, results and whatnot. But the revenue is not there. The, you know, the, the business just hasn't produced any revenue despite monetizing this software now for the better part of like three or four years. Um, they're also now doing the hardware side of the business. So looking to put their software on top of some hardware, that becomes a very different selling proposition and a much more difficult one. Um, so I would, like I said, I only started looking at it this morning. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know enough to say to someone to sell, but if you do own it, I'd have a really close look at, at sort of what are you investing in? Are you investing in a software business that has a really low barrier to entry to go and upsell, you know, hospitals on existing equipment? Or are you investing in a hardware business where that can be a very long, difficult path to get into these places? Um, you know, just like Nanosonics is probably the best example. We've got maybe a ResMed above them as well. It's a long, long time before these medical device businesses really kick off and become successful. So um, I guess I would say hold, but 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 look at it closely and just make sure the narrative and the numbers are matching up to your investment thesis. Thank you. Let's get a view from Claude Walker to finish it up on 4DX for Marty, 4D Medical. Yeah, so I think that I agree with almost everything Luke said. I should disclose I have a, a even tinier holding in this just out of interest more than anything else uh, as a story that I wanted to force myself to follow. It's never been meaningful to my portfolio, but I find it extremely interesting just because I'm interested in this kind of imaging technology. I've invested in a lot of radiology technology companies in the past, and, and this seems like an interesting one. I agree it's completely overpriced and there's no... Um, revenue even so i think the one thing i would different i'd say a little bit differently from what luke said is this company is really even more early stage than that it's mostly about trying to prove through clinical studies that its technology can be used um to make diagnoses and then that will be the first step before they can get people to use their technology so uh, it's really early stage it, sh it probably shouldn't be invested in and i although i own some shares um, it's mostly just out of interest to follow along with the story and, and keep watching over the years because I think it could be an interesting investment at some point. At some point, not today. All right, Claude, thank you. Luke, thank you. Let me just run our viewers through what we've learned in the past little while. If I get my notes sorted out, excuse me. Uh, Money Me, it's a sell. It's a sell from both of my guests. Um, look, it's just a very... It's a very uh, risky business in terms of Claude's view. All right, Atomo Diagnostic, it's a sell again from both of my guests. IntelliHR, it's a sell from Claude. I think that it is a, it's a hold to buy for Luke, but it's exceptionally high risk. So keep that in mind. Both of the gentlemen hold that. 4D Medical, look, Luke says you've got to know what you're getting invested into. It's a pretty tiny holding for Claude. Um, he thinks an interesting business at some point. You just heard him talking about it, but I do not think that was a ringing endorsement to buy today. Now, guys, really good to have you with us. Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Thank you. As always, I hope you go off now. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and have a really good weekend. Thank you too. Me. Thanks for having me. If you're watching, don't go anywhere. Don't want you to run off for the weekend just yet because we've got the small caps coming up. I will be speaking with Michael Ivanchenko. He's the CEO of Kinatico. You've never heard of it. It's had a name change. So we'll talk about the migration from pre-employment screening to its higher margin SaaS revenue model. We've also got uh, Small Cap Fundy joining us. Uh, really looking forward to the chat that's coming up. We'll be touching on some of the, yeah, the tech companies, including Nitro, which went into a trading halt today. Plenty to come. Stay with us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.